You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. This week on the podcast, my friend Jason Crash really is going to explain to us what it means to be an elk hunter. You know, a lot of times we read too far into units, success rates, and aerial maps, stuff like that. And Jason is really a big proponent and a big advocate of just getting out there and putting the work in or embracing the suck as he likes to call it. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode. He's a super knowledgeable guy. He's harvested a ton of elk and I really hope you guys do enjoy all the knowledge from Jason. My name is Jason Crash. I'm a uh, live in Western Colorado. Um, grew up in Oklahoma, uh, moved in, moved to Colorado in late 80s and uh i guess that's really where uh, my dad and uh, uncles they really instilled hunting into me at a young age you know turkey hunting whitetail hunting from a little age and just from there it really progressed when we moved to colorado and really got into western big game hunting uh, with mule deer elk and they've always just really captured my attention and uh it's been the past really five ten years that i've really gone from that you know young bloodlust of of killing animals to actually why do they do what they do where do they go and and all of that and it's just been a real real fun i guess journey to try to figure out and put it all together yeah man so where uh where in oklahoma were you from uh grew up outside of enid okay yeah i went to school at uh at oklahoma state so My parents yeah. both graduated from Oklahoma State. Really? Yes, sir. That's awesome. No, that's kind of... I've actually talked to a few people that are uh, living in Colorado now that are originally from Oklahoma, but man, that's the dream. Living in Colorado is the dream, uh, but man, Oklahoma is great though, too. <laughs> it's great, <laughs> but I uh, I definitely would like to live out in Colorado at some point or at least get out there a few times a year to hunt elk. So, uh, so I see on your Instagram, uh, you're really a trail cam a big user of trail cams and I was just wondering um, how has trail cams kind of helped you uh, pattern and hunt elk? Cause I, I see a lot of, I don't see a lot of people using a lot of trail cams to capture elk. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it goes back to understanding, you know, you know, it goes from being able to find them and then wh- what's that next step? How, how do they use landscape? How do they use canyons? How do they use desert country? Why are they there? You know, and it, it's a function of timing of year as well of wh- where are they going to be comfortable during the summer? What are they going to be doing? You know, a lot of the bulls, they're going to, you know, be hanging out with their buddies and then getting ready to, you know, split off once it comes to the rut and then it changes the game. And then from the rut, trying to figure out where do they go? Where, where do they win or why do they win or there? And it, it became a real addiction after the first few years of trail camming, watching these giant bulls. 
go from, you know, one location to a different location. And then from there, the trail camming really assisted with understanding why they use landscapes. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of context and like, I've had this whole series on the podcast, just interviewing really cool people that love to hunt elk just because it's just the best way to figure out how to hunt elk is to one, talk to people that have killed them before and, and do it at scale. I've got to do it five or six different times. And I feel like that's so much better than watching YouTube videos and stuff like that. But so me and Jake are, are headed out, um, to Western Colorado and, okay. uh, early September. So I think we're leaving the 31st, going to start hunt the first through the seventh. And I think that's a little bit earlier than we wanted to be, but you know, with work, I think it's Labor Day. That's is that holiday. You know, you only have to take four days off instead of five. So right. uh, that's kind of the where we're at right now. And what advice would you give us just starting out? What can we do while he's in Oklahoma and I'm in Texas? And what can we do to start uh, kind of working towards that right now? Mm-hmm. So if you have a unit pinned down, my my go-to always is Google Earth. Google Earth, man. If, if you can find something that, I mean, there's so much technology that's available. And the funny thing about technology is, uh, as hunters, I've found that I try to disconnect from technology as much as I can, get away from the cell phones, get away from internet, get away from all of it. But at the same time, while I'm not in the woods, I want to take advantage of all the technology I can to put myself in better placement. So while I'm using Google Earth, instead of spending, you know, uh, days and weeks of trying to look at a canyon and how do I attack that, to be able to get on Google Earth, jump into that and find, you know, routes that would best suit my plan of attack by um, just spending that time, you know, and that time's never wasted because once you get on Google Earth and then you you uh you actually see the landscape you you have a scale uh, of what you're looking at you know and there there's things that you know being far away from where you're going to be hunting there there's the subtle things that you're not going to be able to figure out right away um that's just boots on the ground finding water sources finding feed um getting away from traffic um you know the road hunters and just listening being a part of nature where you can you can hear and, and that's the great thing about elk is they're they're so vocal. It's so fascinating to just listen to them. But once you can separate those, I think those are pretty big keys. So for someone that hasn't picked out a unit, we were mm-hmm. kind of messaging back and forth, talking about uh, success rates, talking about determination, willpower, stuff mm-hmm. like that, and really just not giving up. I think that was one of the biggest things that you had said is not giving up. So what advice would you give to someone if they're they're trying to, you know, go through the data, go through the harvest numbers, the reports, knowing that the northeast part of the state is the best? Uh, it's kind of the, you know, the area that most people want to be. Yeah, northeast. northeast. No, north, northwest. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Northwest okay. part of the state is the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sorry if I said northeast earlier. That's where we're going, northwest. I was trying to divert people. But uh, um, what would advice would you give to someone that is trying to figure out what, like narrowing down a unit between two or three units, not trying to pick the highest success rate. You know, I just, what's the method behind the madness there? You know, you know, it might be strange, but I don't even look at success rates because I think it's given you a partial picture. Uh, you, you can read into the data and it says, you know, 
20% success rate, but how many of those people actually had tags and were weekend warriors who got there and, you know, they had the weekend off and they hit it hard, but they had, you know, to go back to work or something like that where, you know, they didn't have, you know, a week or two to uh, really understand the landscape. So I don't really take that data to heart because I've got friends that they're not going to stop and, and they've kind of uh, put that uh, um, knowledge into me is once you can embrace the suck and you get that mindset and you go, okay, this, every bit of this is going to suck. But once you get to the end of that, once you get in that mindset that you embrace it and all the pain and struggles with it, even sometimes when you, you don't um, get that ultimate goal of putting meat in the freezer, you you don't forget those lessons, man. Those those stick with you. And the unfortunate thing is it takes another year to put those things that you learn back into practice. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned. Um, another thing that I, I really pay attention to is um, I think it's uh, on Go Hunt. They, they do a real good job of getting knowledge out to hunters. You know, what was the precipitation back last year? What was it the year before? Can you find trends in that data that's going to indicate uh, overall um, herds? Um, where Did we have bad winter kills? Was there, you know, some anomalies that, that are going to take away from that overall success? One thing I do pay attention to is when the divisional wildlife does their flyovers and, and does their actual herd counts, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to that than, than a statistic saying, you know, 10, 20% harvest rate. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that too is in that, in that percentage, there's times where I've eaten a tag because I've, I've been hunting giant bulls. And I'm like, well, it didn't work out, but I'm not going to shoot that smaller bull. Cause I think next year, if everything works out, he's going to put some size on him if everything works in his, his case. But you know, I, I get to say that living in Colorado because at the end of the year, I'm, if that doesn't work out, I'm more than likely going to get a cow tag and put meat in the freezer that way. Right. So I just, in my personal opinion, I don't really take those, those uh, statistics to heart. So how would someone access the, the herd counts and do they, do they break that down by unit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, maybe not specifically by unit, but they do them by game. Um, they call them game management units, but it's, um, they do overall elk populations like, uh, the white river herd or the grand Mesa and stuff like that. And that's, that's readily available on the divisional wildlife site. Okay. So do you think the, for, so for you, when you're looking at success rates, there's not, since it's Colorado, I've heard there's elk everywhere. Right. Yeah. And if you can't see an elk in Colorado, you're really doing something wrong. Um, but <laughs> that's so funny. I've heard that so many times. But so what you're doing is you're saying there's enough elk in every single one of these units. There's going to be enough. And so because of that, I'm just are you just going to pick one and stick with it? Or what are you looking for in each unit? Is it, oh, this unit has a lot of um, land that's very hard to access, but I can get on it? Or, or what? Are, what's narrow it down from there? Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, that's a good question. You know, I, I stick to BLM land, you know, you know, and as the season goes on, oh, they're smart. They're going to figure out where there's less pressure and they're going to, you know, you know I, I can sit up on a point and I can tell you exactly where elk are going to go just based on hunting pressure. And, and you know, that, that's something that I've just learned, you know, via proxy and just hunting, you, you know, that that's, that's not readily available, but I, I'm looking for mostly is, is food, 
what source is available for them? How are the cows going to dictate those bulls movement? Or, you know, even if you, you have, I'm guessing archery, either sex tag, you know, so it, it comes down to what are you, you trying to accomplish with your goals once you go in? But as far as that, I'm, if you're looking at private and you, you can see the landscape that holds a lot of cover and, and you can see that it would hold water, you know, good chances that those cows are going to be around there. Those bulls aren't going to be too far away and it's going to be managed on pressure and how they use it. What does uh, what does BLM land actually stand for? Bureau of Land Management. Okay. Okay. And that's all public. Yeah, that's all public land. That's, you know, that's our ownership in it, you know, and, and being good stewards of the land. Okay. So what, from your perspective, I don't know if you've actually hunted those dates that I just gave you. I assume being in Colorado, you probably hunted all the dates. Yes. But what, what is it going to be like in early September? And if you were hunting that one week period that we're going, what would be your, a few keys to success that you would go after? Man, I'm telling you, it, there's, there's years that I pick up a bow. Like last year, I had, the, had them patterned out, and they absolutely scattered the second week of August. Whereas the previous year, they were in the same area until mid-September. So I don't even have an answer for you because I haven't answered that yet. Elk, elk are going to be where they're at. And I know that's a pretty general um, a statement. I just, I don't really have an answer for it because I'm still, you know, even as long as I've hunted elk and mule deer, I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, but some years they're there and some years they're not. And it, it's, you know, like last year we were supreme drought. Everything was dried to a crisp. Second week of August showed up and it started raining again. And every single water hole had water in it. So now everything's diverted instead of that one spring. And whereas this year, man, we had a phenomenal winter. It was good for wildlife. It was good for the land. And grass is green. Water's everywhere. But yet, right now, I know where all the elk are. And I don't know when they're going to leave. I have It's going to be around September. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it, it's, that's a good question. It's tough. And like I said, I'm still trying to answer those questions because, you know, I, I enjoy not only elk hunt itself, but putting meat in the freezer. Yeah. That's funny that you say that about the raining and the water holes. It's so funny how, how much that actually dictates thing, things. We were hunting in the panhandle of Oklahoma out by Boise City uh-huh. for antelope. And there's, there's like a few ponds out in 70,000 acres. So it's like, where are they going to go? You know, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy to narrow that down, but man, the whole week we were there, it rained, uh-huh. it rained and, you know, they use those water holes and they're very predictable when it's real, real hot. But man, as soon as it rained, they were drinking from puddles in the road. Right. So it's like, you're sitting at the water hole, staring at the water for all day. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you look behind you and there's one drinking in the road. You're like, awesome. So I, I definitely understand that. But I mean, as, as a, if it was really hot, which I expected to be decently hot at, at least, I'm not, not going to go in with too many expectations on weather and stuff, but right. is that a strategy that you would try to try to take, take hold of? Is like sitting by a water hole or just, you know, checking water holes for tracks and kind of locating them from there? You know, and that's one thing, you know, my friend Ronnie has really uh, uh, <laughs> put into me cause, cause I've been a rifle hunter for such a long time. And it, you know, as long as you can get a clear lane, you, you, you bound to be successful. But now that I've picked up archery and started, 
um, trying to understand how they move. My my big key is being mobile. If you're gonna, if you got commitment, you know, and, I, and I, I'm assuming that you <laughs> that you've whitetail hunted, so I see that whitetail yeah. behind you. Yeah. You have supreme <laughs> patience to wait, and, and if you can do that, and you, if you're committed to that, I say more power to you. You know, I've got to the point where if I understand some kind, some bit of the country of where I think they're going to be, or if they're not here, they should be over here. If you can allow yourself to be mobile and be in shape to move through the canyons, you, I think you set yourself a lot better for success if you can get around all those peeping eyes of the cows. That being said, I know you can be successful on water too, as long as as long as you uh, you're patient to it and and that going back to being mobile you're gonna you're gonna grind and once you embrace the suck i think i think that either way is is a good avenue as long as as you're committed to either process how how big a factor has being in shape played on some hunts that you've been on or has it has it ever been the difference between success and failure you know, when I was in my early twenties, it didn't matter. I just, just get after yeah. it. But the older I get, I you try to take easy shortcuts when you can find them, and sometimes they're not there. Um, but altitude's huge. If you know, and I, I don't know how to really prepare for that. You know, coming from Oklahoma, you know, the day before. Or anything like that. You know, I know a lot of people that jump on the the stair climber or, you know, find the hills that, you know, the biggest one, (laughs) you know, and and just do what you can. You know, lung capacity is going to be big. Um, And then, you know, just that core strength, because once you get an elk down, there's nothing fun about it. There's nothing fun. But, you know, at the end of it, you know, there's been times after you know, hunt with my close friends that you, you literally say, I'm actually not going to do this again next year. And after two weeks later, you know, I'll dap, I'll, I'll put my toes back in the water. See, we'll figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured it'd be one of those things where you, you hate it drastically in the moment, but it's always favorable. It's mm-hmm. never, I mean, it's always great to look back on. I, I definitely, I understand that. I was in Mississippi this spring and we were, we were going 12 miles every day through like up and down canyons and man during i was like i am perfectly fine with not going tomorrow and you know and we got home and we got home and i was like oh i don't i'm so glad we didn't we didn't skip a single day or not wake up there's so many uh, there's so many things like that that i feel like creep into your mind especially if if i was planning you know a seven day hunt in the back country which i've never done before Mm -hmm. never done before only hunted in texas kansas and oklahoma you know so that's this is obviously going to be very very different but for me, something that I'm really interested in is, you know, have you ever, what's your experience with hunting in the back country, like multiple day trips, staying out there? I just like to get a little context into that before I go to the next thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> it is, it's rewarding. I'll tell you that because when you get into the back country, there's no phone service, you know. There's a lot of reward from disconnecting. Once again, I'll probably come back to this many times. Once you can disconnect from technology and get away from everything that is our normal day lives of being comfortable 
and being able to shower and go to the, you know, the fridge to grab um, uh, something to eat. You know, there's a lot of reward that comes from understanding yourself and, and how the backcountry works. And, you know, if something goes wrong, it's not just, well, I, I can be at the hospital in 30 minutes and we'll, we'll figure this out. And so your process changes to, you know, why am I stepping here? What am I doing there? And sometimes in the heat of the moment, you don't even think about that. You just, <laughs> you know, going full force in, you know, and, and some of, you know, mountain goat hunting was one of the ones that really changed how I looked at all aspects of hunting. Um, Cause you, you in some gnarly country, you thousand foot cliffs and you, you make a mistake. There's no forgiveness. And once it's done and you get back to civilization, you, you remember all of that, that, that all comes back to you. It stays with you. And it goes back to just mentally preparing yourself to, you know, are you going to be, are you going to get lucky and tag out the first day or are you going to be committed to that seven days of just being a part of nature and understanding um, and learning, I guess, instead of understanding, just learning how, uh, how it all works together, how, the ecosystem is uh, perfect in itself. And once we step into it, that's, that's where we're part of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Something I think about when, um, when just covering the subject of like backcountry hunts and uh, being determined and stuff like that is like, can, is there any moments that you can recall in your mind where you're out in the backcountry, you know, it's day three, four or five, you know, it's after you got your legs sore, your lungs are all worked up, you're, you're tired. Uh, you don't want to wake up early and sneak in on that bull that's bedded down or what? Has there any been, been any times of like self doubt that just really stick out to you? Every single time, every every hunt. There's a lot of quit in, in the in, just in the mind in general. Um, mountain goat hunting. There's a few times I wanted to quit. I was like, I don't, I don't even care. Like I just don't care. And then seeing those those animals come out, you know, and it transfers. It's not just mountain goat or bighorn sheep elk mule deer it's all of it when when you you go that that extra mile and you go "Mm, i don't want to see a bull back here because i know what it took to get here there's a lot of quit in the mind there's a lot and if you can control it and and once again i'm not even sure that i've ever conquered it but i don't i can't think of one hunt that's been worth it that i haven't thought about quitting but Mm -hmm. you just you don't I don't know what that secret is. Yeah. Do you just think it's a, a genuine love for the game or like mental preparation, just mental fortitude or like what, what is it for you? I think it's gotta be all of it. Do you, for me, do I love it? Do I love it enough that I want to learn about them and the ultimate goal being putting meat in the freezer? I mean, I've always heard <laughs> you can't eat horns, but it's sure fun to look at. Yeah. And, 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 you know, through all the taxidermy, I can look at look at all those and I can remember every single moment of embracing the suck and um, just diving into it. So I, it's, I don't I don't know what the what the answer is, I, but I do know it's a part of all of those those uh, factors that you just mentioned. It is. Yeah, that's something that something that me and my buddy Jake uh, have really been talking about a lot is, you know, just one being determined to not quitting and we're like man one of us is going to get at least one opportunity if we literally refuse to quit we're out every second during the daylight hours and we were getting really carried away with it of like 
man, if I had a bull bedded down, I'd go 300 yards back behind him. I'd go to sleep, you know, like it, cause <laughs> something I was telling Jake the other day was, man, stuff looks different at night <laughs> it, when you're, <laughs> I've known that so many times, if like before pre on X, even using on X, you're like going somewhere and you know exactly where you are via GPS. And, uh, you're like, oh, it says we're here, and you're like, this is not it. Like, this is not. And then it starts. The sun starts to come up a little bit. You're like, all right, we're right here. But, uh, man, there's so there's so much stuff that I've like put into this. So much research, so much time, so many conversations, and it's just like, I just want to make sure that I'm fully prepared mentally when I go out there. And I think a lot of that is going to be learning more about yourself when you're out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I'm just really excited for. It. I know it's going to be probably harder mentally than it is going to be physically for me. It's going to be extremely hard both ways, but man, the mental, I'm just really excited for that game. For sure. No, I, you, you hit it on the head, man. More times than not, it's I've mentally stopped myself from going to where bulls are because just something about, man, if I get that bull down over there, I know how long it's going to take to get back out with, you know, four or five, six trips of having all of that weight on your back and you sit there and you go, but it's going to be worth it. And, and once, once I, you know, I'm eating that steak there in January or, you know, <laughs> February, I'm going to be thinking about how terrible that was, but I'm also going to remember every single second of it. And that's that fine line of, of that mental fortitude and quit. But if you can embrace it and once you can get past that, man, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super excited for the really for the challenge. It's going to be a very expensive challenge, but it's going to be it's going to be real really fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But as far as a few, wanted to dive into a, a couple more questions about technique and equipment and stuff like that. Uh, what has worked for you as far as calling goes, and how how um, important do you think that's going to be come early September? You know, I'm, I've never called. I'm not good at it. Interesting. <laughs> you know, I've tried it at the house, but I figure, um, if I'm not convincing enough in, in my, you know, in my backyard, there's no way that I'm going to get past an animal who, you know, that does this 360 days a year knows what an elk sounds like. And so I've always opted to not, I've got friends that are solid at it, but I've always figured in, in my own personal, um, limitations that, I'm going to, I'm going to use what I can do to my best. And if I'm not good at it, I'm, I'm not going to scare, you know, my opportunity at a, you know, 300, 350 or bigger bull. I'm not going to scare my way because I decided to be confident and cocky that day. Right. So have you just, uh, have you just used spot and stock? Like how is it, how has it worked for you archery hunting? How have you harvested bulls, you know, without calling or are you just cutting them off or what does that look like? So I'm, last year was the first year that I ever jumped into archery. Um, okay. Th- so I'm brand new to the archery game. And, you know, all of my life I've, I've just rifle hunted. And it got to that point where I was like, man, I need to figure out more about these elk and, you know, how, how they move around, why they do that. And so that's why the trail cams and, um, you know, getting in getting that piece of knowledge under my belt is really starting to come together and last year it just it didn't work out because the bulls that I were after that I was after they left and the smaller bulls that came in I was like well you know if I'm going to pass up on them and be willing to eat that tag 
it's it's okay with me. You know, I've harvested a lot of elk, a lot of deer, and so it, it's not part of my my train of thought that I have to go out and be successful and kill this animal to make it that memorable experience to me. Um, but it, it's part of the love of it of starting into archery and learning the you know the elk the landscape the mule deer and just how it all works together and i mean that even goes down to the predators and you know the amount of bears and lions um our our you know our ranchers moving their cattle through there you know that's another big one too is you know there in september a lot of the ranchers are moving their cattle out if they're moving it out when you know you're in their hunting that's a lot of noise it's a lot of activity those elk ain't gonna stay around so as, as far as archery hunting i'm i'm brand new to it but i've loved <laughs> i loved every minute of it last year and I'm, I'm gonna be back out there on the mountain this year yeah that's gonna be great well i wish you best luck on that <laughs> so do you think it's you're you're i know you're new to archery hunting elk but you have a years of transferable knowledge from rifle hunting trail camps and stuff like that from my perspective from someone that is brand new to elk hunting and really western style spot and stock hunting at all do you think it's realistic if you took four people that were super determined to come back with at least one bull do you think that's unrealistic no not at all not at all because i mean being that you have you know eight sets of eyes looking at different country if somebody's over here somebody's over there and y'all group up at the end of the day and share that knowledge and use that communication between you you know as long as you got that mental game and you're willing to stick through it i don't see i don't see how you see how somebody's not going to at least bare minimum get a shot off really so is it do you think it's relatively easy to see elk or is the execution is the hard part or how, how does that work <laughs> so not really because once you're in the rut too now you've got to think about how many how many cows did that bull have grouped up how many more eyes are on you how many are on your buddy what's the wind direction doing um you know the wind's going to be different in the morning than it is the afternoon how are you going to approach are you going to come from uphill, downhill, what, what, what's that process look like on that landscape? So there's a lot of determina uh, determining factors that go into your approach of how you, even when you see an elk, how do you get to that without them, not only a bull, let alone, um, you, you got a hundred cows or however there, how many there are, they're gonna pick you out too, because they're not as love struck as those bulls are. Yeah. Would you be would you be willing day you know five six seven if you were traveling you know 12, 12 to eighteen hours to hunt elk would you be willing to take a cow on the last day just to take some meat home? Hundred percent. Yep. Hundred yeah. percent. You you know but you know I've I've got a lot of big bulls and had opportunities at them and I've been on some phenomenal bull elk hunts with you know my friends Ronnie and Brian and my dad and just to me it's not about it's about the experience of it. So I have no problem at all taking a cow, not one. I love elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've had a, I went to, uh, so I ski every year up uh, in Aspen and Snowmass. Okay. And you see a, see a few elk um, 
up there, but we were eating in this lodge. You had to hike down to this lodge, and I had like an elk bratwurst. Okay. And with barbecue sauce, and I was like, man, I am going grocery shopping for elk this <laughs> September. I was like, there is absolutely no way that I'm not bringing one of these home. Man, I'm, I'm to the point now where I, I like the more I play it out in my mind, I'm like, day three, you know, I'm like, man, I really want to shoot an elk. Like, I really want to take something home. Like, that's one way to justify it to the wife is if you can at least bring some meat home, you know. <laughs> I feel you. I feel yeah, you. Yeah, beef is expensive. Right. right. <laughs> but so getting down to the equipment side of it, I mean, what are some what are some must-haves for you um, in terms of equipment? I know that boots are important, packs are important, but, you know, what are the things that are important to you and, and maybe some suggestions? Shoot, man. Um depends are you are you going to be full force mobile where you park your truck you've got everything in your bag like your sleeping bag your tent are you yeah. do you have you know even to the point where i'm cutting a toothbrush in half because i don't want that extra weight but i'm gonna <laughs> bring a better you know sleeping bag because it could rain it could snow um you know, that's a lot different than if you're going to be going back to the truck each night and you got your camp packed there where everything's accessible there, you know, um, um, down to the food preparations, you know, what is it? Mountain house. Um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Shoot. It escapes me now, but I like to travel light, you know, cause you don't want to expend yourself before you get to that prime area where you've been, you know, you picked out on Google earth and you're like, that's the spot. And if you're, you're mobile in the point that you can get there, you know, the sleeping bag, the tent, you know, just those things that are going to make you the most comfortable and the most uncomfortable uncom uh, situations. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't really know how to pinpoint it down to, you know, without walking in my room and, <laughs> Yeah, back <laughs> taking you step by step of uh, the whole packing procedure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean we're doing a so we're doing seven days. Plan on man, I plan on not seeing that truck for seven days. So right. I I'm gonna need I'm gonna need my food, my my tent. I mean, is one thing that was interesting I've been talking to people about is is glass. So like mm -hmm. when I was out in the Panhandle, I really needed some glass. Like. Right. So I need I needed good optics. Like man, they look just like that, like prairie grass. They really do. Now for elk, uh, I've kind of got mm, I've got mixed uh, mixed signals from that. Some people are like man, glass is everything, open country. And then I've heard no elk are vocal. You know, you kind of know where they're going to be. You can see mm -hmm. signs. So what's your what would your uh, recommendation on that be? Because if I don't have to spend four or five hundred on a spotting scope, I would prefer not to. Yeah, no, I'm going with the latter on that one. Um, most of the country that I hunt in is their canyon, pinyon, juniper, thick, uh, oak brush. Um, if you can find them, I do recommend, like, if you you find an area and you're not sure of it and you can hike in from a truck where you got, you know, your spotting scope and you can take a peek from a long ways away and you want to make a judgment call that way. But as far as going in, there's been few times when um, I've needed anything more than my binoculars. And even by that time, when you're entrenched in, you know, the pines and aspens, you don't have much time to pick them apart. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, I'm going with my binoculars, you know, unless you, you have that 
that advantage, you know, if you're going to be hunting a, a big bird where you can see for miles and miles. But from my experience, I, I haven't hunted a lot of them in flat country where you can see a long ways, uh, you know, from the hunting aspect. It, there's difference. Like right now, I can go out and sit with a spotting scope for hours, you know, at, at the end of the day. And that by itself is fun, but that's that's not packing that that piece of equipment in, tripod, all of it. That's mm-hmm. to me, that's excess weight. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be lung, like lugging around this massive spotting scope that I'm going to use that one time when we just get out from the truck. But right. yeah, I mean that's really that's really good to know because I just I got me a backpack today. What kind <laughs> of backpack do you use, and like, and how how many cubic inches would you recommend on a on a seven day? Shoot. I don't know how mine it's the badlands i can't remember what it was um cubic inch wise i could i could private message you after we get okay. done follow you follow up with you there um but even that was a funny story they had the uh, hunting expo out in salt lake um every year so i just went into each one <laughs> the backpack and i just walked around until i found the one that was comfortable to me you know, I, I went through Gafaru, uh, Kuyu, and just something about my body frame. I, I like the Badlands pack. Uh, and that's not to say anything bad about the others. I I just, that's the one that felt comfortable to me, and that's the one I've, I've rolled with ever since then. Awesome. So one thing I wanted to, I wanted to touch on was what's your, what's your favorite elk memory in the woods, and what's, what, what's maybe one of the favorite bulls that you've ever taken? Man, uh, the one that my dad, uh, he harvested in Wyoming last year. I, I wrote a story. I was fortunate enough that uh, they reached out to me. They saw my Instagram, and uh, he uh, reached out to me and asked me to write a story about it. And I, I think I captured it pretty pretty much to the T uh, of that experience with my dad. Is He's getting up there in age, 68, 69. He's still got all kinds of <laughs> piss and vinegar and wants to get out hunting even though you know as age catches up with all of us but to be a part of that and see just that childlike joy that i remembered you know hunting turkeys with and just being so excited when he killed that first turkey with me and and i got to experience that with him uh in wyoming last year and i mean i, I can't trade that to for the world you know i, I remember my first one i, I remember all of them and maybe it's just being a prisoner of the moment and how how fresh that is. But, you, you know, as we, we get older and, you know, I, I think that's how I started with losing that bloodlust of your younger days of getting out and I've got to kill this elk and, or this deer, or this animal to to be successful, to watch that transfer over to. I just, I want to be a part of the experience. And if I'm able to capture that experience for everything that it is, and if I get, you know, a couple stakes out of that, was it worth it? Was all that time and dedication to that moment, man, you, you just can't replace those. Um, you know, it, and it, I think it's like, like I said, I've been very fortunate to grow up pretty much in Western Colorado and get to hunt every single year. But as I get older, it's those memories that I appreciate the most about, about it. Um, you know, and talk about a bull of a lifetime split beam, heavy, heavy everywhere. And 
just to put your hands around something like that and go, man, we were able to beat an animal that, you know, spends its entire life out here fighting off, you know, lions and bears and whatever comes along. And then to hold that in your hands and go, man, that was, that was a warrior of a bull. And you, you get, you get it become a prisoner to the moment. Yeah. That's an awesome story, man. I think I saw that you had a, your magazine article that was that what it was? It was a write up in the magazine. Yep. In Eastman's. Eastman yeah. boat. Is it the bow hunting magazine? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think they have two versions. They come out. Okay. Their bow, and then they have another. I don't know exactly how it works, but it was in their most recent Eastman's. And man, it was just, it was blizzard, just terrible wind, everything. And just for it all to work out, and you standing in a snowstorm, it's, you, you just don't beat it. You know, you're soaking wet. And, but that's, you know, that's what keeps us coming back to it is for those moments. I, I, don't, I don't even say moments of glory or anything like that, but it's just those moments where you're, you're part of, of nature. And yeah. one, once you step out that front door, man, <laughs> you, you, you a prisoner to it, you know? And I was thinking when you were saying uh, about walking in the dark, there's been a lot of times where I've screamed thinking of mountain lions coming with, I'm like, <laughs> not today, <laughs> you, you know, but it's all of that that makes that experience. And, you know, I can talk about these um, other bulls that my friends have got that I've, I've, even though, you know, they've got the trophy in their house and everything like that, there's not a moment that I'd replace just being, you know, a, a pack mule because I got to, got to be a part of that and to see the, the jubilation, the excitement of all it, how it all worked out and being able, you know, four or five years later, to get around a campfire and be like, remember that one time when that bull fell off the Canyon rim? Yeah. I don't know how we, not one of us made it out and <laughs> you pack it out. And it's, it's part of the experience, man. I, and it's addicting. It's, it's, it's some kind of addiction. Yeah. Those memories are so, so fond to look back on and the camaraderie. And really that's, I like what you said. I think that's some lesson that comes with, years of wisdom and years of hunting experiences man the memories and success is not always defined by getting a bull but man when you get one and you get to remember it that's incredible mm-hmm. i really hope to have a moment like that and i i mean i really i know that this this trip's going to be incredible you know regardless uh just getting out there if i see an elk i'll be really pumped but man i really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me i think it uh as only furthered my knowledge of elk hunting yeah. and I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, man, it's a pleasure. And if I could be of assistance to that, I, you know, I think that's one of those things that comes with uh, time as well is being able to see other hunters be successful, that respect the process of it, of not just going out there and, you know, you stop on the road and, oh, there's a bull there and you shoot it and it's done. But to see that process, you know, and not to say that I haven't seen it through rifle hunters, but I've seen it more through the archery community of being able to um, be able to be in that moment of getting as humanly possible to this elk that you're in their home playing field, you're in their front room, they know everything, you smell like an intruder to them, and being able to, to take that, I, I think that I've seen that more just in the past uh, year, you know, from, from my friends and uh, being a part of that. And so if there's any way that I could be of assistance to you and Jake, when you, you get out here, you know, point at something, you know, that would 
interest y'all in, in a direction to go, hey, that's that's what it's all about is being able to pass that on. Yeah, well, it's great to talk to a uh, to fellow Oklahoman. I <laughs> I wish you the best, man. I we will definitely be in contact as uh, as we get closer. I'm only going to have more and more questions. I would love to have you back on the podcast again. Thanks for thanks again. Yeah, man. If it gets closer, you know, maybe the the week weeks leading up to it. If there's something that you want to dial up, as you know, weather patterns and everything start setting up, and, and you guys are are firm on, on a on an area, man. I'm, I'd be more willing to take some time to jump back on with you, buddy. Hey guys, thank you so much for consuming the Hunter's Advantage podcast. We really appreciate it. And we really do do the podcast for you all. And just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear, feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next.